choir has prepared us so very well. Uh, did you enjoy that choir number? How high, how deep is the love of Christ? Wasn't that wonderful? What a marvelous way to prepare. Now, we've been talking about the prodigal, right? Uh, David Dykes is a pastor in Tyler, Texas, and he tells the story of a, uh, a soup kitchen. Um, I was reading an article this past week. Do you know how many homeless people there are in New York City? Some of you may have read that article. There's 75,000 homeless people in New York City, 49,000 in Los Angeles. Um, Dykes tells the story of a soup kitchen. He tells the story of the sermon that was preached, Luke 15, 2, and he continues to share about what took place after that. The people came in, they listened to the message, and then they went to have soup. There was a bag lady. And as she went through the line, she said, where's the preacher? And they went and got him and brought him to the lady. And she said unto the lady, I I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And, and he just said to her, oh, that's wonderful, but what, what caused you? Was it the sermon? Every preacher thinks it's his sermon, okay? Well, well yeah, your sermon was good, but it's what you said. I, I didn't know that God was calling me. And he said, out of the sermon you, you took that God was calling you? Yes, because in the Bible, there's my name. I never knew that my name was in the Bible. I never knew that God would call me by name. Well, the man remembered his sermon, and he said to the lady, lady, you're mistaken because your name is Edith, and that name is not in the Bible. Oh, yes, it is, she said. You read it just a few moments ago. <laughs> For you said, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eateth with them. Is your name in Luke 15? Has God called you individually by name because you were a prodigal? How does God restore the Edis of the world? How does God restore you? Luke chapter 15, let's begin in verse 11. Luke chapter 15, if you're a guest with us, our practice is we open the Bible and we read from the Bible. That's where we get our instruction. If you don't have a Bible, did not bring one with you, there's a Bible in the pew. Take that Bible. But Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 17, and I would ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. Is your name in the Scripture? Is God calling you by name? How does God restore the prodigal? Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 16 or 17. The scripture says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose 
and came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Please be seated. The prodigal in our passage learns firsthand of the great blessing of restoration, the truth that God desires all who are separated from him, all repentant sinners to come and be restored into his kingdom. That's God's desire. Last week we talked about what God do you believe in. Is it a God of wrath? Is it a God that looks for opportunities to to punish individuals? Is it a God who hates us? No. The the Scripture speaks of a God that loves us, compassionate, a, a God who's looking for opportunities to restore us into his kingdom. When we repent of our sin, then God brings us back into the family. But repentance is an essence. How does God restore the prodigal? Well, it begins with repentance. The the scripture says the prodigal, he arose, he went, and he said. Now, he went to his father. He changed his lifestyle. He changed his mind. When we repent of our sin, now, what does the word repent mean? Well, the word repent means we do a U-turn. We turn around. We leave that which we're involved in, and we follow a new path. We, we, we turn around from our sin, and we turn to God. And repentance leads us to restoration. Now, now let me just... The Scripture says he came to himself. He realized that what he was doing was going to destroy his life. Now, now, sweet friend, we get into that same kind of melee. We get into that same kind of difficulty. We're following a path that leads us away from God, and there comes the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, Stop, child. And if we'll come to ourselves, if we'll realize that this path is leading us away, when the things of this world become more important than the things of God, when the relationships of this world are more important than the relationship with God himself, when our relationship becomes cold and we, and we feel that God does not hear anymore and there is no strength, then it's time to come to ourselves. It's time to realize, because, my dear friends, without repentance, there is no restoration. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Repentance leads to restoration. Repentance. It's to change one's mind. The prodigal was in the pig pen. You ever been in the pig pen? You ever find yourself in a situation that your lifestyle and your words and your actions no longer honor the Lord God? 
And the scripture says he repented. He changed his mind. He changed his situation. And he changed the sinful activity. If you want to be restored, if you want to come into God's grace and mercy and love, then there needs to be a change in yourself. Sin will break us. It will separate us from God's love. Walk away from it. Now, sweet friends, please understand something. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm not talking about trying harder. For friends, the wages of sin, sin is so devastating in us, it will destroy us. The boy was a sinner. He was lost. And he must change. He had tried to change. Now, you're kind of looking at me like you don't understand. Anybody here ever try to lose weight? How easy is that? He tried. And he was a broken person. And the only thing he could do now was to cry out. Brother and sister, how do you become a Christian? It's not because of your effort. It's not because of your strength. It's not because you join a certain church and become part of a certain people. No, sweet friends. It's when in your heart and in your mind you realize that who you are is not what you want to be. And you realize that you've got to get out of that situation. You've got to remove yourself. You see, if the prodigal only thought of his hunger in his belly and the homesickness and the loneliness, there would be despair. Sweet friend, if we'd look at our life and see the things that we have done, the things we haven't accomplished, the things that we have lived, and the things that we have not given to God, there would be a discouragement and a despair. The boy was starving. He had no home. He had no friends. He had no support. And his lifestyle was one that gave testimony of only destruction. That was the situation that he was in. That was the lifestyle that was going on. Himself, he knew, was a sinner. Inside, he knew that what he was doing was wrong. In Psalm 104, verse 35, the scripture says, May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked no more. Sweet friend, the situation of sin that comes into our life is a situation of destruction. It is a situation that destroys. And the Bible says those that are involved in it will be consumed. That word in the Greek means nothing left, means no place, and the wicked will be no more. What we're talking about here is more than just a boy that found himself in a, in a bad case, in a, in a difficult time, a, a boy that was just a little frivolous and, and a little bit off-key. No, we're talking about a boy who was losing his life and everything that was meaningful to us, and that's the world we live in, all around us, individuals who are lost and dying and being consumed by a world of sin. He had to change himself, his situation, and his sinful lifestyle. The boy was living, what is sin? 
Sin is rebellion against God. Do you see what he says? You see, Pastor, the things I dabble in are just, they're little things. They're not big sins. They're not problems. My, my speech, that's just the way I talk. My attitude, that's just who I am. What is a sinful lifestyle? What is the lifestyle that is spoken of here? In Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32, the scripture says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, what is a sinful lifestyle? It's not regarding God. It's not thinking much about God. It's not thinking about his plan. It's not wasting my time in going to church or wasting my time in living like a Christian. It's just not worth it. And Romans 1, 28 through 32 says, and God gave them over to a debased mind. What is a debased mind? It's one of lower level to, to those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetedness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents. What is a sinful lifestyle? It's the immorality that is all around us. It is the immorality that is presented to us as normal in the lifestyle of the United States of America. It is wickedness. It is knowing what is right and doing what is wrong because that is what I want to do. It is perversion. It is covetedness, desiring what my neighbor has for my own. It is malice. The word malice that is used there in the Greek is an interesting word because the meaning of it is a desire to cause pain. You ever want to hurt somebody and then went about hurting them? That's the lifestyle this boy was involved in. That's the lifestyle that's around us. Full of envy. You ever envied somebody else? Want what they have? Murder. Do we know anything in St. Louis about murder? If we're going to be restored, if God is going to use our individual lives for his glory, if we are going to spend eternity with him, there has to be a change of our mind. How we think about ourselves, how we think about our situation, how we think about our lifestyle. We're going to have to understand that we no longer, he said to his daddy, daddy, make me one of your hired servants. Are you a hired servant of the Most High God? Are you at his disposal? So that when he calls, you move, you go. Yesterday we had the privilege to take two of our preschoolers uh, out. Um, and um, have you ever tried to put 
a one-year, uh, eight-month-old in a car seat. For them, it is a gymnasium. And I kept saying, Catherine, sit down. Catherine, sit down. Please, Catherine, sit down. Before Papa has a heart attack, please sit down. And you know what happened, Ken, after a period of time? I rediscovered something that I had forgotten from years ago. I rediscovered my voice. Catherine, I said, sit down. <laughs> and she sat. People, how many times has God said, please, how many times has God said, child, don't do that? Until finally, the heart attack comes. The job is lost. And all of a sudden, we begin to listen to what God is saying. Repentance means we change. Repentance enables, empowers us to make confessions. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. There are four confessions that are given to us. Number one, I am a sinner. And the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven, God, and against you in your sight. We must acknowledge that we are sinners. Sinners, yes, saved by grace, but we are sinners. We must come before the Lord and confess to him, Lord, I cannot save myself. I am, have a tendency towards sin, and Lord, I ask you now to forgive me. Remember David, when David committed adultery and murder with Bathsheba. What does he say in Psalm 51, 4, as he speaks of his sin? Oh, oh, pastor, it's not that bad. Oh, pastor, I just love that individual, and I must go with him and away from my family. Pastor, you don't understand. Psalm 51, 4 says, Against you and you alone have I sinned. Have I done this evil in your sight? When David saw his own sin, he saw his sin first against God. But it's just a television program. It's just a movie. It's just a word. And all of that God sees in your life. And he sees how it pushes him out. How that relationship does not draw you to him, but draws you away from him. But pastor, that's not me. In 1 John 1.10, the scripture says, If you say that you have not sinned, you make him God a liar and his word is not in you. <laughs> you stand before me and say today that you are perfect and you have not sinned. And what I say to you, you have just now called God a liar and the scripture does not live in you. Every one of us are sinners, and we must confess it. How many of you attend Alcoholics Anonymous? No, don't put your hands up, okay? You see, I have a tendency to think the worst of you, to covet what you have, to be at odds with you, Dear friends, we have people who live right next to us who are part of our families 
who live with a bitterness and an anger and a hatred. Look at our society. We look forward to tearing down our heroes and finding fault with everyone. But the fault lies in us. We're the ones who have the problem. And we need to make a confession, Lord, it's me. It's me. I told you what James told me just the other day. He came up to me and he said, Papa. Now, these aren't James's words. These are my words, okay? I'm interpreting for him. Papa, I've just rifled through your things. I've opened your desk up and gone through everything and left about half of it on the floor. I found a few valuable things. If you miss them, too bad. You know what I said? Thank you, son, for telling me. I'll go back and look what I've lost. Every one of us is a sinner. And sweet friend, before you can get restored, you've got to get lost. And in our society, that's not politically correct. But it's the truth. Second confession is this. I am unworthy of your grace. God, I am unworthy of your grace. I am a sinner, and I am worthy of your grace, but I must have it. He said it this way, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Think about those words. Think about what that means. I'm not worthy to be called your boy. The greatest treasures I have on this earth are my family. And for one of them to come to me and say, I no longer am worthy to be called a Blankenship. You see, Jesus told this story in Luke 18, verses 10 through 13, about two men that came to pray. Two went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer, even as a tax collector. Is that our attitude at Parkway Baptist Church? Boy, I'm glad I'm not like the rest of the world. Is that our attitude toward our neighbors? Boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like the guy who lives next door to me. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all of my possessions. And a tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You want to be restored? You need God's grace. You don't deserve it. But you need the grace of Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The grace, the confession. I'm a sinner. I am unworthy of your grace, but I must have it. And we must confess. Now, Sweet friend, all of us don't want to go to hell. But here it is. 
I surrender to the Lordship in my life. I surrender to your Lordship. Friends, give me a get-out-of-hell card free, please. But the crux of the matter is you want to be restored, then he has to be Lord. He's not fire insurance. He's not just to get you out of that bad place. But he must be the one that controls your speech, your thought, what you watch, where you go, how you live. And if we're to be restored, we must cry out to God with a confession, Lord, I surrender to your plan. I surrender to you. I give my life to you, and I allow you to rearrange my thought pattern, to rearrange my schedule, to rearrange who I see, who I do not see. You are my Lord. Why? Because from the very beginning, Genesis 20, 2 through 6, the Lord says, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Sweet friend, there's nothing that is to come between us and God. There is nothing we are to love more than God himself. But pastor, he's a God up there. Yes. And that's why you got to draw close to him. That's why you got to spend time in prayer with him. That's why you got to spend time in his word to know him and to know his will for your life. He must be Lord. It was funny yesterday. In that exercise with Catherine trying to get into her seat, she escaped me at one point and crawled into the front seat. You know where she went? to the driver's seat. This one-year, eight-month little child put her hands on the wheel, looked back at me as if to say, you want to go for a ride? (laughs) That's you. That's me. I'm driving my life. I'm directing where I'm going to go. And we've got about enough sense as that little girl to drive that car. Because you know something? We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't have any idea what we're going to face in 24 hours. We don't know how hard it's going to be. Any of you have a Siri that does navigation? I love going with my wife to places and, and having two women in the car. <laughs> because, Howard, I know where I'm going. But Sherry wants to make series along with this just in case I get lost. And, you know, it's difficult to drive and argue with two women. No, Siri, I'm not going that way. Which causes Sherry to say, aren't you listening to Siri? Siri says. Anybody know Vandeventer? Listening to Siri, I went around that Vandeventer from Highway 40, Vandeventer, back around and around and around. (laughs) All the time saying, Siri, I know where I'm going. You had an argument with God lately about what direction your life ought to go? Can I ask you a very important question? Did you win it? 
He knows tomorrow. And not only does he know tomorrow, but he knows your heart. And he knows what you need. Pastor, how do you know? That's why you got to spend time with him. That's why you got to put him into your schedule. That's why you got to bend the knee and talk to him. Dear friends, this is not a religion. It's not a list of do's and don'ts, and if you check all the boxes and dot all the I's and cross all the T's, God begrudgingly is going to let you into heaven. This is a relationship. And that has to be nurtured. And time has to be spent with him. If not, then sweet friend, you're a sinner. You're on a voyage to a pig pen. And one day you'll wake up, hopefully, and realize that you missed his call. That you missed his urging. That all of the signposts he put up to bring you back. You missed those. Can I give you this final thought? The fourth confession. Make me one of your hired servants. Now the boy was bright. I must say this. Because in the Greek, it's a hired servant. That's a paid servant. He didn't say, make me a slave. Okay? You're not God's slave. You understand that? God loves you. Now, now Pastor, you just waxed for a long period of time about the lordship of Jesus. Jesus calls the shots. And the only way to do that is draw into relationship with him and to know him and to care for him and to speak to him and read his word and understand it. But sweet friend, you're not his slave. Matter of fact, when Jesus talks about you, he talks about you as his family. You're his brothers and your sisters. Co-heirs to the grace of God. That's your position. So you restored, you go into his family as God's son, God's daughter. In that, you're to serve. This morning, we've paraded in front of you two groups. One that's going to Ukraine. Why? Because God is doing amazing things in Ukraine. And, and these, as they go to meet over 400 individuals who've already signed up, are not only going to get an English training, but they're going to get gospel training. 400 plus Ukrainians are going to get to hear about the gospel of Jesus. Why would people give their own time, pay their own money to go to the Ukraine? Because the fourth confession. Lord God, I'm your servant. I will serve in your kingdom. That search committee. We meet on Sunday night at 6.30 
p.m. After everybody else is gone, we're here. Okay? We've met twice. We'll meet the third time tonight at 6.30. And, and these individuals will, will work on a job description. They'll work on uh, how to send the word out. They'll look at resumes. They'll interview people. They'll call individuals. It'll take a great deal of time. Why do that? We don't pay them anything. Because their desire is to see the kingdom of God further. In Matthew 6, 31 through 34, the scripture, Jesus says this, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles think. For your heavenly Father knows what you need of all these things. Pastor, I'm a, a busy individual. I got family responsibilities. I got a job. Pa Pastor, I've got, I, I don't have time. Does God know all the things that you do? Does God know everything you need and everything your family needs? I think He does. So, what is His opinion? That passage of Scripture. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. When I pick up my grandchildren, usually what I have uh, is jelly beans. I don't mind buying the love of my grandchildren. That's fine with me. And, and when I pick them up, do you know what James says? Our little Josh, not yet, but soon. Papa, do you have something special for me? Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, my daughter-in-law, they had a garage sale yesterday. And one thing I heard is they were trying to get enough money to supply Papa with candy money. But I've never seen any of it yet. Does God know your needs? And he says this. But pastor, I got physical needs. Pastor, I got financial needs. Pastor, does he know your needs? And his words are these. Seek first the kingdom of God. So what we do at Parkway Baptist Church is important to God. What that mission team does in the Ukraine is important to God. What that search committee will do is important to God. What will take place tonight as the children come to sing is important to God. The Bible studies that take place tonight for the men and the women are important to God. So you got a decision. How does God restore a prodigal? It begins with repentance, and repentance leads to restoration. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament, probably my favorite book, is Joshua. I love that book. And in Joshua chapter 24, they, they have gone through the process of the battles to win the promised land. Now, God promised it, 
but the Hebrew children had to go in and fight the battle. It wasn't easy, and if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, if you place his kingdom first and allow him to be Lord of your life, that does not mean that life is going to be easy. There are battles you're going to have to fight. But in chapter 24, the people began to relax themselves. The the land wasn't totally taken. There were still parts of the land that were held by the enemy, and the people had come to their rest. They had stopped God's plan and started living for themselves. And so Joshua, old as he was, gathered the congregation, the people together, and he saw that they were living not for the Lord, but for one another, for the pleasures, for the extra car, for the for the extra room in the house, for the, the holiday vacation that we've always wanted to take. They won't miss me at the church anymore. I'm, I'm too old any longer to serve the Lord. And he gathered them together. And he challenged them. Who are you going to serve? The gods that are here? The Canaanites, the Moabites, the Pisites, are are those the gods you're going to serve? Are you going to raise up and, and worship Baal? Are you going to put your children in the furnace and burn them as sacrifices? Or will you serve the Lord God? And then he reminded him, the God that brought you out of Egypt, the God that gave you the strength to win the land you live on, who will you serve? And his final words to them were this. Do I expect all of you to surrender, to volunteer, to serve? But I expect some of you to. I really do. His final words were these. As for me and my house... As for me and my house, he's speaking not only for himself, but all of those that depended upon him. (laughs) There may have been some that said, wait a minute, Josh, you're not speaking for me. And God would have known that. But what he said is this for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. There's a decision to make today. And can I be honest with you? Because God sees everything, you can't be neutral. Will your house, will your house serve the Lord? You see, that's the road to restoration. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's a challenge that you give us in these words. Their Heavenly Father is the truth that speaks to us if we don't. Then, Lord, there is a decay that will come that will destroy us spiritually. And not only us, but all who, Lord, follow us and all who are affected by our example. Lord, none of us live unto ourselves. When you made us, you made us to be a lighthouse upon a hill that, Heavenly Father, those around us might see our attitude and hear our words and not be drawn into bitterness or anger. 
but be drawn unto the grace of Christ. There is someone who is watching us. There is someone who is listening to our words. There is someone whose eternal destiny is pinned on our lifestyle and how we influence them. Heavenly Father, you see all and know all. Lord, are we surrendering to you? Does our house stand as an example of those who surrendered their mind, their tongue, their actions to Jesus Christ? Not a perfect people. A people that need your grace, who cannot do it themselves. But with your filling Holy Spirit, Lord, can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, let us be strengthened this moment. Let us, Heavenly Father, choose to be restored. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A choice is made.